Hello and welcome to this special edition of the China in Africa podcast, a guide for journalists on how to cover the upcoming forum on China-Africa Cooperation Summit in Johannesburg. I'm Eric Olander. And I'm Kobus van Staden at Wits University in Johannesburg. We've prepared this podcast specially to help journalists on how to frame the key issues at this year's FOCAC Leaders Summit in December. We'll take a look at what the main stories are and how to best report them. Now, for a lot of journalists, this will likely be the first time assigned to cover a major China-Africa conference like this. And it isn't an easy story to report on, regardless if you're on-site at the FOCAC Summit itself or if you're reporting from your newsroom. So to help you better understand some of the key themes that will likely guide much of the news coverage at this year's FOCAC Summit, We've, uh, we've, we've invited a leading Sino-African media scholar to join us and help break it all down. Herman Wasserman is a professor of media studies at the Center for Film and Media Studies at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. He's also a specialist in China-Africa media relations and a former journalist with South, Africa's news, South African newspapers, The Daily Maverick and The Mail and Guardian. Herman, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Eric. Kobus, hi, Kobus. Kobus, before we get too deep into the weeds on what stories we should cover and getting Herman's analysis uh, about what's going to happen or what we think will happen in Johannesburg at the FOCAC Summit, why don't we step back a little bit and just kind of refresh people on what is FOCAC and why is it so important? FOCAC is the, the major interface between China and the entire African continent. It, they, it, it's a mega summit um, held between most of the countries that have, most of the countries in Africa that have um, diplomatic relationships with China um, and the Chinese government. Um, they started in 2000. Um, the first one was in 2000. So this year the, is, is the 15th anniversary. Um, the thing, one thing you need to remember is actually not the first mega summit between between uh, Africa and an East Asian power. The the um, Tokyo International Conference on African Development, which takes place every few years in Tokyo, um, is is was actually before FOCAC. But um, FOCAC has kind of eclipsed it a little bit, and it's become this this forum where all of the all of the um, all of these countries come together to essentially discuss how China-Africa relations are going to go in the next three years. I hold it every three years. Um, and on the side, on the sidelines, you see tons of deals being made between individual countries um, and various Chinese players. So it's it's a the the premium moment to see how China's uh, Africa policy is developing, how its aid to Africa is developing, and how Africa is reacting to China and how it'll affect that relationship into the future. Herman, now you've been observing these types of summits and also media coverage in both China and in Africa for for a number of years. Now, for a journalist who has been assigned to cover this, again, either from a newsroom from afar or who will be sent to Johannesburg to participate in the news coverage, um, is there should one expect that news will actually come from these types of summits, or is everything so orchestrated and so predetermined that it's just all canned? Yeah, I think there is a fair amount of um, canned information being presented. I, I think that's true of many sort of these big meetings that journalists will attend. And I think the challenge for journalists is to go and dig um, and to listen for the stories, to find the stories in amongst uh, what might be a lot of official uh, jargon and, you know, uh, sort of official discourse. And I think for that, it is important that journalists um, acquaint themselves with the major issues at the moment. Uh, that they read before they go there, they read up on, on China-Africa relations, uh, they, they know what is on the agenda, 
And I think the resources that you are providing uh, for journalists um, is, is a very helpful guide, you know, it's a very good starting place for journalists to acquaint themselves. So that they, when they go there and they, and they get this sort of prepackaged information, they know what to interrogate and they know what questions to ask and, and where to, to look for those stories in, in amongst those uh, sort of more official uh, sort of press releases and, and, and uh, announcements, etc. And I think in addition, I would also say that if one could try and if journalists could try and add some sort of human angle to this and, and whether that is while they are in South Africa or look around them and speak to people and see what's going on on the ground um, and just to meet with people and, and, and try to, to break some of this down in a sort of more accessible format. I think that would also help uh, audiences understand what the, what the issues are. I mean, well, I, I think for, for me, another of the challenge, challenges, the major challenges of, of covering FOCAC is that China-Africa relations generally, and FOCAC particularly, is, is the, the, all of the discourse that comes out of FOCAC. And you have to remember that it's not only FOCAC as it exists, you know, kind of every, th- every few years, but also FOCAC has a, a news and information uh, dissemination service. You know, so, so they, they almost act as a kind of a, a small news agency. So you find tons of FOCAC branded stuff online and it's all just kind of relentlessly blandly positive um you know kind of so for example the official theme of this year's focac summit is is um africa china progressing together win-win cooperation for common development Ugh, now i it's mean just more I mean, of the same kind of fall, again exactly, of that can, win-win can, exactly Exactly, you can fall. You you feel yourself falling asleep, um, and then the 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 natural reaction is to for for journalists, I think, to assume that this is all a lie, right? And I mean, it's like okay, the real story is actually exploitation, neocolonialism, poaching, but. I think you know, kind of. I think the challenge is, is in the one hand, to kind of to to puncture this kind of bland officialese, but at the same time to to keep the nuance. Uh, you know, kind of to see to really kind of gauge what is good and what is bad in this relationship. Okay, so Herman, take picking up on what Kobus just said, and I, and I'd like you to be as specific as possible. So you are advising now, because hopefully a lot of people listening to the show, journalists who again may be new to this subject. Let's start with what are some of the key kind of issues and myths about the China-Africa relationship that may be propagated in the official statements that Cobus is referring to that journalists should really be wary of and should avoid? Yes, I think whenever something is presented as very simple and uh, as a sort of foregone conclusion, you should start, uh, you know, your, your, your antennae should be... Uh, picking up that there might be things under the surface. I think, you know, as we know, these sort of relations are often presented as, as win-win and as, as unproblematic and as sort of very optimistic. Um, but there are obviously sort of issues um, underneath them. And um, I think um, I think in general what, what journalists should be doing is to try and um, to go beyond those sort of simple stories, whether those are simplistic positive stories or simplistic negative stories. And we know that there's also a lot of negative stereotyping out there. Um, A lot of the knee-jerk reaction against China and Africa has been very negative. It's been about exploitation, about extraction, um, about, you know, new colonization, these sort of um, terms that are often bandied about. So I think just as important it is to avoid the sort of negative stereotypes, just it's equally important to avoid sort of overly simplistic, positive, feel-good um, angles and, try, and trying to get 
and, and see what are, what are the real figures and, and what are the real things happening. Uh, obviously, I think one of the issues is to to get a sense of what the numbers and the statistics and the, the figures are. I mean, it's not always, um, and I think you know we, we we might get to that later. But the the questions around um, exactly what sort of assistance, for instance, how do, does one classify uh, assistance? Is this investment? Is this aid? Um, what will be be the benefits? What will be the costs? Um, and, and try to unpack some of these and, and, and again, interrogate whatever is, is uh, you know, the, the official story would be. Um, so both on the sort of negative and the positive side, I think, avoid stereotypes, avoid the simplistic stories and try to get at the complexity of this relationship. And just a reminder, over on our, folk, our reporting FOCAC, that's reporting-focac.com website, where you may in fact be listening to this podcast, uh, we've got, uh, you know, a lot of that information that helps debunk some of the myths that Herman's talking about. So you'll see a resource that has the five most common myths. We also have uh, data on aid, and also some of the, the the trade figures and the investment figures that people oftentimes get confused. Even though China is Africa's largest trading partner, it is not the largest investor. And that's something that really is a common mistake that people make. So you can check over on our website. Kobus, it's interesting that this year's FOCAC Summit comes at what I think is an important inflection point in China-Africa relations. And I th- I suspect that even though the Chinese government and Jacob Zuma may not want this to be a theme in this year's summit. It will nonetheless hang over like a cloud. And that is the really traumatic events this summer that we saw in the Chinese stock exchanges and the economic downturn that is ongoing in China and what the ripple effects will be in Africa. And I suspect that a great number of the dozens of heads of state who are going to be going to Johannesburg to meet with Xi Jinping are going to go with one very simple question in mind. Please, are you going to leave? <laughs> and everybody's afraid that the Chinese are going to pack up and, and leave. And that's been one of the themes of news coverage from the past few months since the downturn. What happens next? Talk to me a little bit about the timing of this summit in relation to the economic changes that appear to be underway in China and how you think that might be uh, something that affects the coverage of FOCAC. I think journalists who are covering FOCAC this year are really lucky because there's actually something new. You know, kind of the the, the previous the previous FOCAC summits have generally been Grateful Africa explosively growing China. You know, kind of that those have been the two the two two key roles. Um, I think now everything's up in the air. Um, we're not exactly sure how China is. You know, kind of how Chinese. Uh, economic kind of restructuring is gonna is gonna affect Africa. We're not sure whether all of the the these mega deals that have been announced and that keep being announced, uh, you know, kind of whether they're all gonna go through, like what role they're gonna play, who's gonna pay for all of this, and then at the same time, when um, you know, kind of keep in mind that a lot of of these big loans that African countries have been taking out have been taking out either to be repaid directly through through commodities or to be repaid paid by by this through the sales of commodities frequently a lot of these loans have been for infrastructure like oil refineries for example so the idea was that they would refine this oil or and and other minerals or you know kind of and um and have more stuff to to export 
to China, you know, kind of. So a lot of a lot of this idea was that you know China is always going to be buying oil or steel or coal, um, and so you know, kind of. So it's going to be relatively okay to pay back to pay back these massive loans because China is always going to be buying this product. Now China is, you know, kind of the loans are the loans need to be repaid to China, but China isn't buying the stuff anymore, so as much as they were before. So that's gonna that's gonna definitely affect it. Um, at the same time, I think another very interesting kind of theme of this year's FOCAC is going to be, this is the first FOCAC taking place after the, the official launch and propagation of the One Belt, One Way, uh, you know, kind of initiative one belt, from the one Chinese road. government. One, one Belt, One, one road. road. Um these okay, so um and now apparently it's being it's being shortened the 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 new slang for it is just belt and road, apparently. Like I've I've you know, I was speaking with a Chinese academic yesterday and she she kind of like that's how it's they're calling it now. But anyway, so the um so this you know, for people who who didn't keep track of this, this is a, a big initiative connecting China to Europe and to Africa, um, and you know, kind of, and and further further field through shipping lanes uh, through through past um, southeast and, and South Asia, to connecting to Kenya, and and um, train lines running through Central Asia to Europe. Um, so this is you know, it's, it's a kind of big economic and geopolitical kind of initiative. So I think it's going to be super interesting to see how both this kind of wobbling economy and restructuring economy, which admittedly is still growing at 7%, which is, you know, not bad, um, depending on, on which which numbers you, you're getting. Um, and, uh, at, and at the same time, all of this promised massive infrastructure and geopolitical kind of positioning, you know, kind of for those both together is going to hit the summit at the same time. Herman, let's get your take on this and what the importance of the timing in relation to the overall China-Africa relationship that's now going into its 15th or depending on how you define it, maybe 20th year uh, and, and about the timing of this year's conference as it, as it relates to the overall relationship. Yes, I agree with Kubis. I think it's an interesting timing, and it also provides journalists, I think, with a bit of a broader picture um, instead of just focusing on the on 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 the on FOCAC and the meeting. And it, there's a broader picture of a, a global economic downturn. There's a broader picture of of a slowing down in China um, uh, or the, the events this year that happened on the Chinese stock exchange, etc. So um, I think what what that, that provides journalists with a slightly broader canvas to work on, so, so to speak, and it also provides them with sort of potential angles, I think, to um, to take this specific uh, meeting that's happening in South Africa uh, and relate that to other issues that their audiences might be interested in. Um, so their audiences might not be specifically interested in, in China, Africa, but they might be might be interested in, in the broader economic picture in the world, and you know that that. Uh, Creates a sort of a different angle and a new a new perspective. So I think I do think this is an interesting timing. I think it raises interesting questions and it it, it also provides some some hard questions to ask. I mean, we, we cannot pretend that everything is going hunky dory and we we cannot um, pretend that everything is just going to be a sort of win win and smooth sailing. I think it, it provides journalists with sort of ammunition, if you want to use that word, to um, to ask difficult questions and to interrogate the meeting. Now, both of you are in South Africa. South Africa is unlike almost any other African country in that it's got one of the most mature and vibrant civil societies of anywhere on the continent. 
Are there stories outside of the FOCAC summit that we can expect? For example, uh, South Africa's labor unions have been very vocal in their opposition to, to Chinese trade deals. There's growing opposition to the ANC's kind of encroachment with China. Uh, there is opposition f- about the ANCs and the South African government's uh, cyber partnerships with China on so many different levels. Herman, do you think that we're going to see outside of the conference uh, protests or we're going to see rallies or civil society groups kind of participating and trying to get their voice heard? Or will that be silenced? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it would necessarily be silenced. Um, I think if, if there were to be protests, I think that would uh, be allowed. I don't, um, uh, but I, I somehow doubt whether that will be the case. And I think there have been, you know, as you say, a number of uh, controversial issues in the last, uh, the last uh, t- uh, time. And I think there's also been increasingly a sort of vocal civil society around other issues. I and mean, we've just recently seen a big march against corruption, for instance. Uh, and, and, you know, Svenazima Vavi was instrumental there, sort of former uh, Kusatu uh, trade union um, leader. So I think it might very well be the case that some uh, that this links on to some other debates and issues that are um, happening at the moment. But I might I might have been missing something, but I don't see a lot of build-up uh, to to FOCAC in the me- in the media. I don't see a lot of pressure building, pressure mounting. It might be slightly early still, but um, I haven't picked up on um, that there's sort of a showdown looming. Interesting. Um, I would have expected uh, a little bit more of a tussle in South Africa, particularly because the labor unions um, are... Kobus, what are your, what's your ta- thought on that? One thing, one thing you have to remember about South Africa is it's a very, very insular society. Um, and it, um, so, you know, kind of that, that's one of the, you know, a lot of the fights that from the outside of, of South Africa looks like fights around, around South Africa's relationship with China. Actually, in South Africa, frequently, you know, kind of have a strong, a strong foot in the relationship between the South African public and the South African government. Um, so, for example, all of this kerfuffle around whether the whether um, there should be the teaching of Mandarin, um, you know, kind of in in uh, South African schools, um, that to a large extent, you know, kind of played out as South Africans' protest against Chinese neocolonialism. You know, that that's frequently been the line that 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 was was put on that. But when you read a lot of the of the coverage of that um, and the discussion of that on the ground in South Africa, a lot of it also had to do with worries about deteriorating education system, primary education system in South Africa. And so frequently, you know, kind of in, in South Africa, the, the discourse was they can't even teach maths correctly. So how are they going to teach Mandarin? You know, kind of, so it, it, it's not necessarily that much about China or rather China is a convenient kind of scapegoat, you know, or, or, or kind of lightning conductor. Um, you you know for a lot of resentments that about the, the South African government and about service delivery in the by the South African government, um, you know so a lot of a lot of the a lot of these fights around cyber cyber um, management for example also reflects worries about what the South African government is up to rather than necessarily what China is up to in South Africa. It's I don't interesting. Know, so a, the you, stories can be misleading, yeah. and this kind of brings us back to the beginning of the show where Herman was talking about avoiding the simple narrative because, you know, one or two layers in, it gets much more complicated. Herman, uh, you know, as a, as, a, as a student of both, you know, China media and African media and international media, I'd like to get your take 
on the different narratives. And, and this is, narrative is this idea of the, the caricatures and the stereotypes that too often define reporting. And so, for example, the Western narrative of covering China-Africa is oftentimes very much more negative than, than anyone else. So, and, and that is a broad generalization because not all of it is, but there tends to be a negative bias oftentimes covering the Chinese in Africa from the West. The Chinese narrative in their media coverage oftentimes tends to be the opposite. Win-win development, China's doing great things in Africa, there's very little negative coverage. African media is far more nuanced, I find, because it's much more project-based, it's much more focused on local events, and they tend to generally avoid the big sweeping 30,000-foot kind of overarching narrative story about the Chinese in Africa. I'd like to hear from you so that other journalists can kind of learn what to avoid when it looks at those narratives and maybe check our own implicit biases as journalists that might kind of infect our coverage. Yes, I think um, maybe just before I get to that, I think I just want to reiterate what Kubis has said about the, let's say, the proxy, that China is often a proxy for something else going on. And I think that, I mean, it, I'm coming to your question because I do think it's related. But so, so sometimes the negative narratives, the negative stories about China and Africa, it's not so much directed at China in the first instance, but it is directed at the ANC government, for instance. And, um, as, and that, I think, is certainly true when it comes to the South African media. An example, for instance, was the, the, the independent media groups uh, by Ober, by Sekonjalo, um, and Iqbal Surveil, who is the uh, the CEO of, of, of Sekonjalo. When, when that purchase was made, it, there was a lot of de- um, noise being made about the Chinese involvement in that purchase, sort of a 10% um, stake that, that some Chinese consortium had in this purchase. But that is really not the main issue. That was used as a sort of stick with which to beat uh, Sekonjalo because Iqbal Survey is uh, is known to be very close to the ANC government. So really what the, the sort of the antagonism was directed against was this buyover of a newspaper in, uh, group by somebody that is known to be very close to the ANC and therefore might be uncritical in their coverage and so on. The, the Chinese involvement became a sort of add-on and to say that, um, oh, yes, you see, the Chinese are involved. We told you so. This is going to be an uncritical sort of uh, genuflecting sort of uh, journalism. So what I'm trying to illustrate by that is that when when these negative stories, when one has to try and unpack why is certain coverage of something that has to do with China, why is it negative? Why is there a certain uh, negative story evolving? And and oftentimes that is uh, China is sort of a, almost just an add-on to an existing narrative. Now, to get back to your question of, of whether I think one of them is that China is out to um, colonize, and these are really, I think, sort of often very crude uh, stereotypes. Colonize Africa, this is new imperialism, it's extractive, um, and um, on, on an economic level, some of the other issues are that, you know, what will this mean for press freedom, especially, and, and human rights, especially when it concerns um the Chinese uh, media involvement in, in the continent, the, the, the thrust of Chinese media institutions that are being established on the continent. Um, but not all of it is negative. There's a lot of that, that cautious, optimistic sort of reporting as well. And a lot of this depends on whether this is an economic story or a political story or some, something else, or a social story. Um, in, in research that we've done, it seems to be that the, the South African press are largely 
positive or fairly optimistic when it comes to economic stories. They see that Chinese involvement in, in South Africa can become opportunity. They seem to think this is sort of, you know, okay, and it's fairly optimistic. But when it, when it touches the political realm, like, uh, and, and with that I also include uh, the media and um, human rights issues, and also things around um, poaching, and I know Kubis has specific ideas around this, um, then the story becomes rapidly becomes very negative and critical. So it, it depends a lot on what are the issues, which topics are being covered, and and then also I think the sort of uh, proxy issue of China sort of really coming in as a bit player in, in, in another sort of let me put the same question to you now and kind of so that journalists who are listening to this, preparing for the summit, can kind of evaluate their own reporting and their own cultural kind of biases as they approach the China-Africa story so that they can, you know, resist using some of these negative stereotypes that often pervade their, the coverage depending on where they come from. I, my advice would be to try and avoid the poor little Africa narrative. Um, try and stay away from the assumption that that Africa is always acted upon. Um, a lot of you know that that is that is a theme that you that you find a lot um, in in China Africa reporting, and it, it it's there for a reason. I mean, you know, kind of China is a massive economy; it's the second biggest economy in the world. Most African, you know, kind of most African economies, uh, you know, a country like Malawi, the, its budget is essentially couch change, you know, kind of for in 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 the China in comparison to the Chinese economy. That, however, does not mean that African governments have no power. Um, a lot of a lot of really great China-Africa academics um, have done very interesting work on the decision-making of African governments um, and their their agency. Um, and they have shown that in a lot of very interesting cases, you find African governments playing off China against other investors. You find them pressuring Chinese contractors in particular ways, frequently in relation to the, the um, timetables for infrastructure projects. Um, you find various African players facilitating things that China gets blamed for frequently, including um, a lot of uh, the smuggling of, of um, illegal wildlife and other kind of natural products like rosewood, for example, is actually facilitated by players within African governments. Um, so don't necessarily assume that Africa is only the victim. You know, kind of Africa is playing a much more complicated role and it has a lot more decision making power than it seems. Um, so, so, you know, kind of that, that's, that would be my, a, a big, a, a big piece of advice. Another one is to draw on the academic world. Um, you know, academics are, you know, gray and shy and tend to hide under their desks, but they, they, they work with this stuff a lot. Um, and they are very hard nosed when it comes to numbers. Um, you know, kind of so so if you if you have, you know, kind of a few minutes to be to, to spend with someone on the phone, call them up. Um, you know, kind of they they'd be very glad to not be marking essays for fifteen <laughs> minutes. Um, and you know, kind of and just just kind of just ask their opinion. Because remember they have been marinating in this stuff for years. Um, and they are very like you know, kind of the, the good ones are really on top of these debates. So, you know, kind of so it's, it's they're, they're a fantastic resource that actually that people actually don't use enough. 
Herman, besides obviously avoiding the simple narratives, what parting and final advice would you give to journalists who are now kind of starting to delve into their research to prepare for covering FOCAC? Yes, I would um, underscore Kubis's point about academic research. And, and a lot of it is sometimes un- uh, sort of written in an inaccessible language or it might, you know, refer to um, sort of debates that have, you know, f- foregone debates that uh, journalists might not have been up to speed with. But I think that that is a very good advice. I think go and read uh, the literature, go and read the research around this. Instead of just regurgitating what has been in the media, and uh, in other words, sort of just amplifying existing stereotypes, existing stories in the in the media. I think go and find out um, what academics have written about this. Speak to them if you don't want to read their stuff, um, and and just avail yourself of the sort of latest knowledge and latest research that is out there. Um, I think that's a, that's a very good start. And then I think when when they arrive, um, also try and stray from the well trodden paths of sitting in meetings and making notes and communiques, you know, go out and speak to people in the streets and, and find the local Chinatown and speak to the, 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 the um, immigrants there and, uh, you know, just get a sense of, of how this plays out in, 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 in daily life in South Africa while you're here. Um, and just sort of get out of the conference room for a change. Oh, fantastic advice from both of you. And just to kind of pick up on what both Herman and Kobus have recommended in terms of reaching out to academics. Again, on the reporting-focac.com website, we've got links to the China Africa Knowledge Project. And on the China Africa Knowledge Project, there is a searchable database of scholars that you can find all over the world. It is really an amazing resource. You'll also find we have this master Twitter list where we include the Twitter feeds of almost everybody who's active in China, Africa, from journalists to academics to universities. Stellenbosch Center for Chinese Studies is among them, and they have scholars and experts that you can call upon. So there are resources uh, you know, just everywhere on the reporting-focac.com website. This is a site built for journalists by journalists to help you cover this summit. Uh, it also will help you better understand China-Africa relations, but this is a crash course in China-Africa to get ready for the summit. Uh, Herman, thank you so much for joining us. We are just so grateful for the time and the insights that you gave us to help uh, to help prepare for this summit. Uh, for those of you, Herman, Watts, uh, Herman Wasserman is a professor of media studies at the Center for Film and Media Studies at the University of Cape Town in South Africa. Herman, thank you for joining us. Sure. Thank you for inviting me. And Kobus uh, is, is a regular on the China and Africa Project uh, podcast with me every week that we produce. So if you're new to the China Africa Project, we hope that you'll check out our website at ChinaAfricaProject.com and at Facebook.com slash China Africa Project. For Kobus Fenstaden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening.